people of planet Earth. This is the podcast from Mars, episode seven. Seven episodes, you guys. Unbelievable. We keep on going. <laughs> this time with a podcast from Mars first. Not one, but two guests from the original lineup of Fuzzbubble. Drummer Kevin Kelly and bass player Brett Rothfeld. Guys, welcome. What's happening? Howdy. So cool to be here. Well, it's really cool to have you. This is really, I think, the first time ever we've uh, sat down, so to speak, even though it's virtually, and had both you and I dueling drummers. You would think like we'd be at each other's throats, Kevin, <laughs> but, but we're not at all. That's right. No, I didn't even throw a stick. <laughs> no. Yet. No, but we, we worked together Yet. in the studio and had nothing but love for each other. And that continues. That was a great handoff. So- Let's uh, let's talk about that handoff. Okay, so the quick history uh, for those who have not heard the previous podcasts or don't know, uh, Fuzzbubble started as a recording project because I was going to audio school and learning audio engineering, and I had met Kevin uh, doing a one groovy coconut demo at his studio. So I mentioned to Kevin that I was going to audio school and I'd like to come and just kind of intern at his studio because he had a, a recording studio, late night studios. And so I started just spending more time with Kevin and becoming friends with him. And Kevin's a super talented drummer and, and all that. So for my recording school project, I had to record a song. So I wrote a song or three songs, as it were. Um, designed for basically me and Mark to do our power pop thing. It was no band name yet or anything, although I, we may have come up with it. I may have come up with it while we were in the studio. But Kevin, uh, Kevin said, "I'll play drums on it. You know, uh, you can engineer it, and I'll help you get through whatever you can through engineering, engineering wise. So whatever you don't know, I'll help." So. Uh, those couple of months of working at the studio, I learned a lot from Kevin because he was super knowledgeable and a great engineer. And then we went in and did that. What was my recording project? And that's where Fuzzbubble was born. We did three songs, uh, Waiting for Someone, Allison Gray, and Dragonfly. And I, Waiting for Someone was a One Groovy Coconut song. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That was originally a One Groovy Coconut song. Um and Dragonfly and Allison Gray were new songs. So I played bass and guitar. Mark played guitar and sang, and Kevin played drums. Yeah. And Fuzzbubble was born, and there it was. Yep. <laughs> I was glad you mentioned. Coconut, because that's where we first met. We all first yep, met, right? Yep. And uh, one groovy coconut days, you guys came to the studio, and then you kind of became a studio rat, hanging out all the time, just you know, you like me, like loving everything about recording and the gear and which guitar is right, right and which mic we should use. And yep, it was just a blast. Um, but it's crazy, like one score and six years <laughs> ago in my basement. <laughs> I know, and and for for a timeline, this is fall of 1994 wow so this oh man. so even though we're having the 20th anniversary of the release of the fuzz bubble record it was actually born 26 years ago this time so wow that's crazy yeah. i didn't even have kids yet i know yeah yeah the first your first kid came like a year later right Barely, like yeah. I, I remember you coming by. You had brought Madison, like a, a, I think she still has it, a little white teddy bear with her name on it. <laughs> and I can't remember. I think that's when we were starting to make some decisions about going to LA and all that. And that's when I was like, I love this, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I got some yeah. stuff going on. <laughs> but yeah. But in between, we did go to LA. Yep. Right. I went out to LA. I got a job in a small studio. Royalty Records said, let's make a Fuzzbubble record because we like the material. Yeah, we had convinced, uh, well, Dave R. 
we cannot kind of convince them that we should, we, you know, we could do this. And actually it was, uh, you know, once, once you got Eddie Curtsy on board too, that kind of helped too. Yeah. I believe, so, right. So yeah. yeah. Eddie. Yeah. And when, when did you guys come out? And it was 95, right? It was, it like, was November, November of 95, I think. Okay. So that's 25 years from now. Yeah. Cause those are the pictures I sent from the, the sandbox. Okay. So right. with us, with Eddie, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I remember hopping on the plane. You had sent cassettes yeah. of the demos <laughs> And I was sitting on the plane. I'm sitting there writing charts so I could remember all these songs. Yeah. And then I think the next night we, what we do, one night in the rehearsal studio, and then yeah, we did record. like one night of probably yeah. a night of pre-production at probably the swing house. Um, so Kevin, here's a here's a question because we we did a podcast on Eddie, but what do you remember about Eddie? What's your me- good memory of Eddie? Man, oh, just just a happy soul, just a. Oh man, and you know, music was his life. Yep. You know, um, unfortunately, you know, I tell his story sometime because I, I have a friend who's in. It was a ex pro baseball player, and it's like we talk. You know, we were kind of simpatico about you know having some good times with our music and with his sports. And it's like some people have a hard time not being a rock star and coming back from stuff like you know going on tour with stp it's like how do you go from playing stadiums to just being a regular guy and yeah you know he 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 did a you know did a bang up job but he had unfortunately some shit while he was on tour but man our time together was awesome he was just just nicest guy you'd ever want to know yeah giving um and then mark thanks for finding that photo i that took me instantly back to that. Oh, right? I know, in, yeah. In that I diner. Wish, like, I was like... In the diner. I remember sitting in that swingers. Booth. Yep. I oh, wish I had right. more. And that was that was, a, that was a fucking selfie on my fucking camera with film in it <laughs> that I no barely way. squeezed our faces Mark into. Mark is the original, you know, but we got originator a little of the selfie. I don't care what anyone says. No, shit. We got our mugs in there, yeah. <laughs> you know, I wish I had more. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he was amazing. You shine, dear friend. You know, speaking of writing charts and stuff, Kev, why don't you talk a little bit about your background as a drummer? Because, you know, we kind of, well, I was introduced to you through the band, you know, again, as the guy that owned the studio and played on the demos and stuff. But, you know, why don't you just talk a little bit about your history as a drummer and where you went to school and that kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, picking colleges and I was like, somebody told me you could go to college for music. I was like, yeah, well, tell me more about this. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up going to Berkeley uh, for recording engineering. And uh, as a drummer, you know, you have to you have to have a major and you have to have a principal instrument. So in my four years there, um, met my future wife there. She was a guitar major, Um, got out in 89 and started start got a job at um the record plant which was it was kind of sad because it was like winding down right and uh, i think it was in chapter 11 when i got there but i mean the history there i mean i found the original masters for born to run and oh, wow. kiss i think it recorded love gun in studio a and i have the original recording light of studio b that went on like when and bored to run, you know, I was cutting tracks. It's like, so I had, I was a studio rat and drummer and had a band with my wife and we were still playing when this was happening. So that was the juggling of, you know, two different things, but loved playing with these guys. It was such a blast. I know this just from actually a, a previous podcast and a previous guest that we had on, but for people who didn't tune into the, the episode, who did you, uh, share a jazz class, a jazz theory class with <laughs> Mike Portnoy. I think he's Mike. the guest drummer on a recent track, right? Mike Portnoy, one oh, of man. the 22 drummers in football. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Most of them didn't spontaneously combust, but there was the one guy. But yeah, I remember uh, Jazz 101 with Mike, and we were all kind of like, ah, screw this, man. But he was especially, like, not into it. (laughs) The guy was like, (laughs) I remember, like, okay, got to move your elbow back and forth when you're doing swing. And we're like, what does it matter? It's like, this isn't golf. I don't have to wrap my thumbs around. (laughs) It was so, 
I remember Mike and then, you know, and then Dream Theater blew up, I think. I remember seeing, remember when you used to make concert posters and you would draw them Yeah. and then you would like go to copy cop and you'd make like 150 <laughs> copies. And yeah. Like, yeah. I remember seeing the dream theater posters all well, over they would the have place. been majesty posters back then. Cause they were ah, formerly, okay. they were started as majesty. And, uh, I remember when I, when I first met Mike, he, the, the band was called Majesty, and he said, "Hey, man, we're trying to change. We need to change our name because someone else has that name. If you have any suggestions, uh-huh. and I suggested, you know, I forgot what I suggested, but they ended up with Dream Theater, which I think is a perfect name for them. But they were originally called Majesty, and their, their first demo was actually called Majesty, and they all met at Berkeley, so they st- they left Berkeley to pursue Majesty, which became Dream Theater. So." You were right. there at the very beginning for that. So they were all there, you know. Yeah. And now, and in another six degrees of separation. So, Brett, you worked with Mike Portnoy. Yeah, at Uncle Phil's. Now, where was that in the timeline of Berkeley? Was that before or after? Before? I think it was after. It was right when the first Dream Theater record came out. Wow. That's crazy. And then, I, yeah, I took, I briefly, like I said in the last podcast, I briefly took lessons with John Myung and I roadied for them for a handful of gigs. Yeah. So Long Island right. in the Hizzo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Strong yeah. Island, man. That's, I'm still yep. sitting here. So, <laughs> me too. <laughs> when Kevin and Mark flew out, we recorded at the Sandbox, which is the studio I was in. And then Kevin went back home. And Those yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a lot of fun, actually. And, one, I got one story I remember. I don't know. I Two stories. I don't know if you guys remember much from it. I don't want to take up too much time. But I remember we took a dinner break and we went to KFC. Uh-huh. And I got chicken pot pie. And I, every time I order, I see it on the menu. I think of this is why I remember the story because I don't remember much in general. So we get this chicken pot pie and we go back and we try to cut bliss. And I'm just dragging ass because it's fucking <laughs> big ass chicken pot pie with gravy. And I'm like, oh man, it was like, like the Flintstone car coming through the hall. It was like, that's pretty funny. And we, I don't think we did it. I think we called it and said, ah, let's yeah, try it yeah, that's a little, that's a little much for chicken pot pie. <laughs> I think that would be a great like sub column in like Modern Drummer, like stuff you shouldn't yeah. eat before you tracking, eat before making track. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's useful information. Turkey, probably a turkey sandwich. Should avoid that. Tryptophan, no tryptophan. <laughs> that's a really useful yeah. list. Oh my god, that's funny. Well, that was a fun. That was a really fun studio. Um, yeah. And apparently, where it got its name from is that Rick Parker actually filled the walls with sand to soundproof it. <laughs> that's Which brilliant. Is, wow. What's even brilliant, brilliant about that, that makes a ton is of that sense. he didn't own the house, he rented it. Is that house still standing? That's awesome. Uh, that house is still there. He doesn't live there anymore. Rick actually has a sandbox or some sort of studio somewhere else in Hollywood. And he produces lots of stuff. Mm. I mean, uh, you, if you could look it up, you, you could see he's he's done a bunch of stuff. Um, but yeah, that was great. We had an Ampex machine, 24-track, 2-inch. Yeah. And you know what? That room had – that studio had a cool vibe. I I loved working in that studio. That it was, was just the right size yeah. for a small studio and had three ISO booths yeah. in it, which is a lot. You know, he really built yeah. the thing out. Uh, especially yeah. it was, it wasn't his house, which is amazing. I, I don't remember. He lived he, there. He did. He, he lived, he I lived in remember. the house, but the studio was in a, basically what was a garage in the back added on. And I don't know who did all that, but oh. yeah, he, he, he had a couple of record deals and he got publishing deal money and that's what he built that studio with. So Smart. yeah. Kev, I'm curious when Jimmy came to you with the songs, and, uh, you know, told, he told you what he wanted to do. Like, what, what did you think when you first heard the songs? And where was your head at, like, as a drummer at the time? Like, were you playing stuff like that? You know, what, tell me about the experience of, like, when you first heard those songs. I mean, Jimmy and I, 
had worked together on a couple records, um, you know, with the one called Coconut, and we had, he had been assistant engineering and, frankly, engineering some of the stuff that was coming through the studio. So we'd worked together on a creative level, uh, but not really, you know, as bandmates. So I, th- I was really excited. I remember he would hang out here sometimes, and I would be upstairs. He'd just, you know, come hang and play and doodle around. I remember being <laughs> upstairs one time. And hearing him going to town on something, and I was because I, I, Jimmy, I actually tell this story to other people, and he's he's playing something. And I go down there, I was like, I heard like three or four different things that that were really good. Are you like you writing this stuff down? And remember what you said? Yeah, I, I, I still. Well, these days it doesn't really work anymore because I'm losing my memory. But <laughs> I said, uh-huh. if it's really good, I'll remember it the next day. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like. You're very comfortable with yourself. Me, I'm so neurotic. I'm like, fuck, I write this down, man. <laughs> that was awesome. It's and a good do you ever, ever do that though. in the middle of the night? Like, especially if you're out drinking and like, this, oh my God, you wake up. And, and I had a recorder and I'd record it. And the next morning I'd wake up and it's like, this is crap. <laughs> but back to your original question. Yeah, I was, I was excited. And uh, what I, I really love that Jim knew exactly what he wanted too. Like, yeah. You guys were great to work with because, you know, you, you let me be me, but you really told me, you know, here's how I want it. Here's what I want it, you know, and very specific. And I like that. And it was it was it was a great experience. A lot of fun. It was a good learning experience. I think we all learned a lot with that one. It was great. Yeah. Try and fill in the blank for me from coming back after that record and then where the handoff happened. I, I, I don't remember where everybody was. Like, did you go back to L.A.? I was here. Jimmy was there already. Yeah, we came back home. And um, all right. Uh, so that was November of 95, correct? When we recorded that? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. It sounds so right. We, and what were you doing, Mark? What were you were you out in a band or three? No, no, time? no. I was, um, no, I think Poe Boy Swing had been done at the time. And um, Jimmy was out in L.A. And so from November 95, yep. and we moved out there in, on February 11th of 96. So it was only a couple months. Like we came, ah. right? Because we came back home, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, uh, we loved with what we you know got out of it after we heard the mixes and stuff. And, and it was pretty quick. And, and I think uh, it was just... All right, we got to come up with a band, and and I guess you know you had let Jimmy know that like this you Kev like you weren't going to be able to do it and everything. Well, yeah, the list was uh, just had a kid. Well, exactly. I just start. I yeah. just started Big Buzz and yeah. the business, and, yeah. and I mean, the, the, I had my other band. Yeah, the like, baby man, number one right there, right? Is, is, is <laughs> says it by all. the way, yeah, I have to say so. Like Kev, I have two sons now. My my sons are twelve and thirteen. Yeah. Okay, and when. So they're, you know, 13 months apart. Um, when my first kid was born, my first son was born. Yeah. I remember I thought back to like going to your house when we were doing this, the demos in the studio that I played on. Yep. And I remember thinking to myself, like, God bless Kevin and his wife, because I would never let any, like what you guys were going through, like being first time parents. <laughs> I'd be like, everybody get their shit and get out. <laughs> Like, yeah. There's no bands. There's no recording. Get the you guys are pretty good about it. And yeah. you guys were always like so nice and everything was cool. We were working in your house. And I remember like, oh, just be quiet when you come in. You know, the baby's sleeping and stuff. <laughs> and when I, you know, years later, when I, like I said, when I had my first son, I was like, oh my God, like I can't imagine yeah, and- <laughs> anybody coming over here to not help. <laughs> Her room was right over the guitar room and she it's sleeps. crazy. She's 24 now. She sleeps crazy <laughs> solid because... Yeah. You know, yeah. that was what she heard. Well, you know what's amazing too is if you, even beyond that, and to to add to what Jay said, um, a lot of the trips when after the band got signed, I would come back to New York. Kevin, you would let me stay at your house, and like I don't know why oh, you right. did that, but yeah, I'm that's right. Super grateful <laughs> to why you not? for that. I mean, it was. Yeah, I guess because we were just, we were friends times, and you're like, man. yeah, it'd be cool to hang out. And, and, you know, I had no money and you were like, like a you were feeding me and it's just pretty amazing to have friends like that. And, and on top of all that, you put up with crazy phone calls from our a-hole manager. Uh. <laughs> that, that was probably like out of, 
out of all of it, that was probably the worst. <laughs> well, remember, the basement was soundproof, man. I put you in the basement. It was soundproof. So I was like, <laughs> That's I true. couldn't hear the phone right. calls. But, <laughs> but it's, I'm glad you mentioned that because, honestly, I kind of thought that happened. But no, I but he called exactly you. I, was like, I think you tried you know, blocking it out. stayed here for a few weeks. A bunch of times. Or, and I was happy to have you anytime you came back. It was like, hey, man, you always got a place. So, yeah, I'm super, super grateful to you for that because – you know, I did a lot of couch surfing back then Absolutely. and I spent a lot of time in the studio as a living quarters, you know, yeah. <laughs> so writing songs. Yeah, I no, think that's I part that. of when you heard me writing stuff was probably when I was just yes. staying there. I was going to say that, but I wasn't sure that it actually yeah, happened. It, so I left it that did. part so, out. So, yeah, I mean, and then <laughs> I remember when, you know, I won't say his name, called the house, um, you, you know, cursing into the into the the recording device, you know, the answering machine, and you're just like, dude, oh, right. you got to chill out. <laughs> and you ended up working with him later, which I think is funny. It is funny, yeah. And, and right at that same time that that's all going on, Brett and I are playing in a different band together. Right, right. And so we were playing in a band called The Plums, which was a three-piece. Yeah. I'm trying to fill in all the blanks, but um, I remember we were together in that band. Was it a year, a little under a year? Yeah. How long were you in The Plums? Uh, not that long. We were supposed to sign a deal with Energy. And, right. And... Uh, that didn't end up happening at the last minute, but that's why I was kind of recruited uh, into the band uh, to play drums. And yeah, we were playing, uh, I don't know, I, I played maybe three dozen gigs with you guys and did some recording against some like local recording out by you in Nassau County. Um, yep. And then we had played a gig at the Raven. Oh, the Raven. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We talked about yeah. that in our last uh, Oh, no, that was a different. We were guests on a- Cover to Covered podcast. We were talking about Cover the to Raven. Covered with Mike Venezia. I'm going to drop, yeah, let's drop a shout out to him real quick because it's the perfect timing. We talked about the Raven on that episode of his podcast, again, called Cover to Covered. But um, we were at a gig at the Raven and Dave R from Royalty Records at the time- uh, came up to me like after a gig and he handed me a cassette and he's like, you're totally going to quit this band and join this one. <laughs> and I was like, all right, whatever. Like, okay, dude. That sounds right. <laughs> and I took the, took the cassette from him. And I remember I, I brought it home and I like put it on my desk or something. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, I just, you know, I just joined this band. Because well, everybody tells you stories. Well, yeah, exactly. Right? And, and plus, I had just joined this band, and you know, these guys I'm were make serious. You a star. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I've made a commitment to this new group, and you know, that's what I'm. That's what I'm doing right now. I can't just you know be hopping from band to band. And uh, I left a cassette on the on the desk for I don't know a couple of weeks, and uh, then for whatever reason, I, I remember I popped it and I listened to it, and I was like. Oh, I really screwed up. <laughs> I was like, these but songs Jay, are fucking Jay, great. Even before that, though, I think I reached out to you because I think I remember saying to Jimmy, when Kevin was just like, oh, I can't do it. We got to find a drummer and a bass player. You were the first person that came to mind because I, I, I'd known you. And I'm like, Jay from Musicland. I'm like, Jay, he plays drums and he sings because we wanted somebody that could huh. do, you know, third, three part, you know, an extra harmony. And that yeah. was before you think Dave R. Absolutely. Because, yeah, because I, or I probably huh. told Dave, you know, told Dave, Jay, and he, the same you know, time. yeah, because yeah, yeah. I said, we, and then, you know, you just happened, you know, happened to play with Brett. So it's just like perfect. So we'll get both of them then, <laughs> you know. And if so, I recall correctly, Jay, Dave had given you the three song demo that we did at Kevin's, not even. Yeah, not the 10. No, that's right. Yeah. Just the three songs. Right. Yeah, just the three songs. And those three songs alone, I was like, oh, yeah. shit. Because I was a big Jellyfish fan. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As soon as I heard Waiting for Someone, I was like, oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> I 
I love that story. <laughs> totally, I totally passed this I, up. I love when he told me that. I was just like, oh, that's amazing. He left it on his desk and didn't listen to it. I was like, doesn't put it in. Like, oh fuck. <laughs> I better call. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, dude, so, yeah, so lame. And, uh, yeah, so I then, I don't remember, but I scrambled back, and I guess it kind of came all together at the same time. The things weren't going that great with the other band, and uh, but they had reached out, meaning royalty and, you know, the whole Fuzzbubble camp at the time, right, that they were interested in taking Brett and I together. And... Uh, yeah, it seemed like the right thing to do. And, you know, I loved the music. I did have some experience with Mark. Not a lot, but I knew him. And Jimmy, like I said, I had that weird kind of like relationship with you where I was like, that guy. I saw you a lot of places. And funny enough, the the one of the last times I remember seeing you before I had a personal relationship with you right. was that backstage yeah, we at the saw Academy. each other at the Jellyfish show. But I had seen you play. But anyway, after Kevin and Mark had come out, we finished the record. I sent the record back. Um, we knew Kevin could not, you know, he was starting a family. And, you know, I, I think... Uh, and Stacy was Stacy was <laughs> yeah. pregnant, I think, at the time, right? Um, or just soon after. Yeah. I don't know the exact timeline on that, but we knew that Kevin, like I knew that Kevin couldn't do it. He had already told I me, yeah, you were way, already yeah. rooted. So basically, Dave approached you, uh, you Brett, and you Jay about about doing this. Um, you know. Here's this band. We're putting out a record. Uh, Jim is in L.A. and that's probably where you're going to have to go because that's the scene is better there. And w- when I came home, it was basically like, okay, I'm going to go meet the guys that are going to play in the band because I, I, me and Brett go right. way back. So, um, so I knew Brett a long time and I had seen you and Mark knew you and, you know, it was all, everyone knew each other. So it was pretty clear cut, like Kevin's not going to be able to do this. So we got to find the drummer and bass player and you guys already were playing in the plums. So, and you were doing something, you know, kind of similar to what we were doing. So it was just like, well, let's just steal those guys. And that's kind of what happened. So, <laughs> and then I remember you guys doing some, some great shows and, and showcases yep great clubs in the city and I would go see you guys and I love watching you guys. And then the other part of me was like, Oh man, I'd love to be up there, but I know it's not, to yeah, be, it's, you know, but look timing. Yeah. So the, so the showcases, so we moved out to LA in February on February 11th of 96. Those showcases happened in September of 96 when we came to New York for the CMJ shit. Oh, and um, yeah. Yes. So that's when that happened. And I think it was a couple back and forth and that's when we met, you know, that's when, um, uh, oh God, what the hell is his name? That handed, uh, that handed John the, or the, oh, our, our, our tape. Al, what was his name? Al Smith. Al Smith. Oh, exactly. Al Smith, handed yeah. him. Al Smith. Handed Puffy, exactly. And Puffy heard Bliss and he's like, all right, go get me this band. And he liked it. And then, um, then we did the dress rehearsal for, for Puffy at, uh, SIR and, um, and then there was a couple more things, you know, we, you know, we, we had to go back in and play for him and stuff. And then he saw, you know, then. Then he he signed us. So and there was a lot of back and forth. We went back to L.A. and back to New York, and you know, yeah. Right. So you guys came out in '96. We played some shows. Yep. April, I think, was our first gig at Jack Sugar Shack in L.A. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we yep. played about, uh, you know, I think we had less than ten shows. Jimmy, I have them written down in my book, so I could tell you exactly sometime. But um, yeah, it wow. was probably less. Yeah, it's only a handful of shows. Yeah. Still sounds like it went fast. It, it went, went very yeah. fast. And I, it, what happened was after I made the record for royalty and those guys waiting for those guys to move out, that's when I met, you know, the guy who was managing the hollow bodies. And he's, he said, I can get you a record deal. This is good stuff. So once, you know, we got ourselves kind of out there and going, we started recording more at the sandbox. Like we recorded, don't let it get you down and my side yeah. and, a couple other songs at the sandbox with, you know, the four of us. And then it was like, okay, we're going to start doing showcases. And, you know, he was using the whole, that was when you would get that guy to write in hits magazine about who was the cool new band that everyone was after. And if you could get him to mention you, then like 10 A and R guys would like call your manager up and say, let me see them.
looking back, un- 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 unfortunately, we really weren't. Um, I don't. Well, not, I don't want to say ready, but we hadn't played enough shows as a band out. We rehearsed. We rehearsed like fucking crazy, which is great. But pl- out playing out live is completely, you know, is a obviously a different animal. But we didn't have. I mean, if we had maybe ten shows under our belt, that was not not even close to enough. So by the time we were showcasing in in September, you know, we were still fucking green. We weren't ready. We didn't know what to fucking what to look like or just we weren't Anything. You know, all that comfortable. Yeah, do you remember the first gig? It was just remember the coats. Yeah, we played yeah, in Beatles. Co- that was suits. Jack Sugar Shack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, it was, it was, um, I felt that too. Like we were, we were under all this pressure to, to make it seem like we've been a band forever. And we were a band for, you know, less than a year with like less than 10 shows. So it was kind of nerve wracking to be doing showcases in that situation. And like, you got all these people like telling Mark, like, well, say this and act like this and, you know, look like this and you do that. You know, there was a lot of like advice going around and it's like, we really probably needed a year of playing shows. Yeah. It was horrible really because, you know, together. yeah, it was just like, yeah, everyone pushing you around and do this, say this, you know, with it, right. it was just so, um, I don't know, intimidating and you know, you didn't, you know, fucking know how to look or stay. It was just, I remember it just being such a shit show. But <laughs> it, 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 I remember, it, I'm it, glad you guys mentioned that. I think so many people think, you know, rock star life is awesome. And it's like, what rock stars are? This is no, you know, it's like rock stars on the road, oh, whatever. God, right? It's, it's fucking, just not all the glamour. Well, you know thinks. what? It was, it's it tough. was kind of like the crossover of, you know, there's a crossover that happens once you're trying to get a record deal, or at least yeah. at the time, that it's like you go from being a band to being a product. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as exactly. you're viewed as a product, you know, and I get it, don't get me wrong. I you get got all it, these but, KPIs to stand up to. You yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's a whole different story, man. We were just like, why don't you just listen to the music? And. <laughs> And and yeah, but it, it became something else. All right, guys, I have the book in front of me with every show we played, so I'm going to count the shows. Oh no, yeah. oh, nice. I think you're right. It's under a dozen. April fifth was Jack Sugar Shack, so we had one, two, three. Uh, April fifteenth, we're at Luna Park. April twenty fourth, Jack Sugar Shack. May fourth um, was Sierra Madre. Oh, <laughs> uh, with the insulters. Never, yep, yeah, the insulters. <laughs> May tenth, uh, Jack Sugar Shack. Uh, again, um, June 18th, we were at the Roxy. June 23rd, we were at the Whiskey. July 1st, Dragonfly. July 8th, Dragonfly. July 14th, the Mercury Lounge in New York City. So that was the first one. So you're talking uh, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine shows before the first Mercury. Nine shows before the first. That was our, uh, it was uh, a showcase. <laughs> oh, my God. And then it was August 16th at go. the Viper. Um which was another, I put Weasel Fest. Wow. That's what we used to call them, Weasel Fest. <laughs> uh, and then September right. 7th, which was another Weasel Fest at the Mercury. So that was like you're talking not even a dozen shows. And, you know, and then another September 26th, Mercury. It's just fucking crazy. Yeah. And that was it. Wow. Can you send and me a picture just, of that list? I really want to have that. I, I will. After I get up, to, I, I'll send you up. I'll send you. And it tells, it says how much we got paid. It tells you the date who we, um, we got paid? No, 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 no. Actually, no, when we went on the road, we actually got paid. No, these shows, we didn't get paid. No, no, we didn't get paid on those. No, 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 no. But I have, I'll send you a picture. But tell you, yeah, who we opened up for and who played with us. I'll send you, I'll send you a picture. $56. Yeah, paid. I can't believe you have all that written down. I'm never. The reason why I did this, you know why? Because I remember Gene Simmons writing down everything in history. And I'm like, you know what? If something ever happens with us, this will be like a cool little fuzz bubble history. So I actually have dates and I have a lot of cool, um, just little tidbits and stuff. Yeah, cool stuff. Wow. But I'll send you a picture. Yeah. So there's yeah. the there's the in between stuff that you know. Once the band moved out, we went into playing live and recording more songs mode. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember writing. I remember writing. Don't let it get you down in my room in my apartment in like thirty minutes. Don't let it get you down. I remember that day when we, 
wrote it, and we were staying. We were at our apartment on Selma. Yep. And you you called us. You called me and Mark and Jay, and we went over your place, and you played it for us. You were sitting on your bed, and you just drummed it and sang it on your electric. I remember that. I remember I, I was listening, and I know exactly what sparked the song. Was a song by a band called Flop, and they were covering a Kink song. And in that song, they say, don't let it get you down. I was like, oh, that's a cool line. And then like, I shut the thing off and I wrote that song. It was a Kinks cover. It was, uh, it's, I think it's from the Village Green album, but this band Fly is covering it. Oh, nice. Yeah, the preservation is. And Yeah. So that's, yeah, I remember like then, you know, my side and then we were recording all these songs in the sandbox because I had, you know, studio time. I could just go in when it wasn't busy. And so, yeah. And then it was just like, well, let's get the, let's get the big record deal because we have Mm -hmm. someone who could, says they can do it. And, you know, for, for what it's worth, he did. It it was, it was totally janky, but (laughs) it was, you know, as weird as that, like, you know, like. Coco will ask me like, why did you sign with a label that didn't know anything about rock? And I'm like, honestly, they're the only people that really wanted to sign us. Yeah. Um, everyone else, you know, we had lots of stupid meetings like at RCA, like the guy told, put on some power pop crap that wasn't very good. Like I see you guys evolving into this and we're like, all our songs are better than what you're playing us right now. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) He told us, Kevin, you know what he told us? This guy told us, you guys have too many singles. Literally, what he told. Who says that? (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was great. You know, I always say I like to be the orange in the basket of apples, and so you guys were. You know, you guys weren't just another band. You were something special there. So I thought it was a great move. Well, it was. It was. I mean, literally, it was our only move because all these other labels had kind of, you know, lost interest, and and uh, you know, Puffy wanted to do it, so we're just like, oh. He was at the top of his game, too. Well, not yet. Not yet. But he was, you know. At that point in time, but he had, he did have like an excellent reputation, you know, as a behind the scene guy. Right. Guy. Mm-hmm. He was that a was mogul the in the making. He wasn't at the top yeah. of the artist. taking people right. and making them something. So, you know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And you got to also remember, too, that Bad Boy was a subsidiary of right. Arista. And that's when Clive Davis was still running it. Yeah, and so what well, we were like, well, okay, that's I mean, that's yeah, legitimate. and ironically, and now this guy wants to- <laughs> Clive Davis told our A and R guy not to sign us because we were quote unquote old fogey music. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because wow. Clive Davis was a was a he wasn't a rock guy; he was a pop guy, right? So right. he heard us right. as like with our Beatle and Cheap Trick influences. Is like this is like this is old for people that are already over the hill, and we're just like. What? You know. But it, which is weird because you get to put it back in time. Like I remember moving out to LA, like you said, 96, and there was a band that just got signed at the time out there called Everclear. Yep. Mm-hmm. Dave yeah. Grohl had just put out the first Foo Fighters yep. record when it was just him. Uh Lit was a pretty big band that had a big publishing deal. Who were the guys that had a uh, closing time? Semisonic. Semisonic. Yeah. So like at the time there was this like legitimate power pop kind of mm-hmm. thing Absolutely. happening. But I think it was a different kind of power pop than what we were trying to do. They were calling it alternative yeah, rock. Yeah, but it wasn't so far off. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, you know, Nirvana, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, and then we it came It was post Seattle. Yeah. Is what it was. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, obviously it didn't right. work. <laughs> well, it would have worked. So, exactly. You know, <laughs> But but it didn't seem that far off at the time. From outside looking in, it looked like you guys had a lot of fucking fun. You know, I look back on what oh, little bit of success of that my other bands had and what we did and what we where we got to play. It was fun. It's a good time. Yeah, oh, you no, know? no doubt. I, I from again outside looking in, I'm just I thought the music was awesome. And I, the only my own disappointment that was the world didn't get to hear it. That was you know that you guys didn't yeah. get the success that I thought. You know, because I remember thinking, you know, Dave Grohl just came out. Foo Fighters are killing it. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Fuzzball's right there, right next to it. It's like, why not? But Yeah, and Kevin, the one thing I, I, as an engineer, I I wish you would have got to see in Jack Joseph Puig's studio. Yeah. Jimmy and I were just, again, studio rats. And, like, we would just look. 
at the liner notes. And if like Jack Joseph, you know, mixed it, we'd be like, <laughs> right. Oh yeah, we're gonna, you know, I don't care who the band yeah. is. <laughs> it's going be great. When he told me he got him to mix, I yeah. was like, what? And you got Clink to record the tracks. It was like, fuck. I was just as jealous of not like being an assistant engineer on it as I was playing on it. Yeah, we got to work with some great people. You really did. Oh, yeah. I, you know, awesome. look, as far as that goes, you know, and that was basically the last gasp of big recording studio. The the, the end of that era yeah. of big, the big recording studio, they were all starting to close after that. And once Pro Tools came in, you know, everyone's like, I can do this in my bedroom and I don't need to spend five thousand yeah. dollars a day whatever whatever the record plant cost i think record of the year last year was recorded in her bed yeah yeah Pro- yeah you're right yeah <laughs> billy eilish stuff yeah so exactly. yeah we did it's get crazy. to work and yep. you know the thing is throughout the recording of that album we worked in a lot of places we worked in a&m we worked in uh yeah we worked at rumbo you guys got to do some tracks at a no what we did it was some rough mixes uh, once everything was done, we did some rough mixes at A&M. And this is a, this is a great story because I lived literally walking distance from there. Yeah. So we went to do, Mike said, well, I'm going to book us into this small room at A&M to do rough mixes. They got a, I forgot the console they had there. It was like some new kind of really cool console. And while we were there, this is who was in the studio. Oh yeah. Chicago. Yeah. Right across the A&M hall. was... Next to them, Ringo Starr. Down the hall and around the corner, the first like reunion of Black Sabbath yeah. and us. I remember, see, I remember seeing in one day. I remember in the lobby seeing Ringo Starr and Ozzy pass me by. It see, was- I never saw Ozzy. I saw, <laughs> me and you saw Ringo and and Mark Hudson come in together. Yep. And we said hello to him. And I, yeah. I remember going into um, Ringo's room and seeing the um, the for each track the poster board with all the, the pictures progress when you chart. The yeah. tracks. I took a picture, the progress shot. I took a picture of that, yeah, actually. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And, you know, yep, and yeah. then Jason Shep from Chicago was friends with Mike. So Mike brought him over and he introduced him to us. And super nice guy. And he's like, yeah, it was just like, and, you know, A&M's legendary. It oh, yeah. Literally, like, it was weird to live in Hollywood and go out to Hollywood to, to, to go out, you know, quote unquote, make it or whatever. And then be lived down this, drive past it every day. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. go, okay, well... We're going there, so I would like just drive my car onto that lot because you know it was gated and everything. It was like, yeah. Well, you remember we got in. Uh, my buddy Keith used to work yep. there in the, in the tape library. We got like a little tour that one time. I can't remember. That must have been before. Yeah, or, I don't know. Maybe after. I don't. I don't know. Hey, so that must have been about twenty years ago, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Funny you mention that. Not <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back around because our occasion for getting together. Mm. is the 20th anniversary of the release of the album that we ended up making with Mike Klink, uh, that Jack Joseph uh, Puig mixed. Mm. and um, But Jimmy had the very cool idea of re-releasing it packaged with the album that you, Kevin, played on with Ooh. Mark and Jim originally. Nice. Yeah. So that's, awesome. that's that's available all in one package at uh, Bandcamp. It's uh, 21 songs. 21 songs. Yeah, I added Don't Let It Get You Down, which I realized later was was just an, an extra song. But uh, I don't think we've ever put out that version of the song. Uh, maybe in Japan. I have to hear that again, yeah. yeah. So was there anything in the mix? So three songs, then Sandbox, we did the thing. And then when you guys came back after you got your deal, you came back to Late Night and cut the pre-pro tracks for the record. Yes. Is there anything there that didn't go to the main record? And, and where is A bunch that? of stuff. Some of that is on um, that second CD that we put out through Not Lame called uh, Demos, Outtakes, and Rarities. And like, oh, there's yeah, a bunch yeah. of stuff on there that, that I know um, – is from those sessions, right? Jay, is there some stuff from there? Foot and mouth, I think I remember because I remember playing. I remember playing something on that little toy piano that you had yep. in the drum foot room. Foot and mouth. We never put out foot Kev, and mouth. You remember that? You had a little <laughs> tiny yeah. kids piano. Yeah, we never put that song out.
I have all this stuff documented in this book, so I can look exactly and give you dates. It's insane. I remember oh, that's down. amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I remember. We got to write the book. We have to write a book, <laughs> you guys. Yeah. Um, well, I got a good outline for it here. Oh, good. Um, for the handful I got to make some it. money because I can't believe you guys were getting paid for the original like nine gigs. <laughs> no, no, I, I, was, I was jumping the gun. To... We, we started getting paid. I, I'll send Jimmy the picture. <laughs> hey, Jay, drummers, <laughs> they never tell drummers anything, Jay. Right? I'm telling you. Kev, I mean, you know what? Just actual, so, so, all right, talking about getting paid, let me just. So, the first actual time <laughs> we received money for playing out as Fuzz Bubble was on December 12th, 1998. We played with Snapdragon and the. Basils, Basils at the Village Pub. Oh, the Basils. That's my uh, wow. The Basils, yeah. That and we got two. We got two hundred bucks for that show. It's a good night. All right, listen. I got to throw this in for a second. So the Basils is Mike Epstein, okay. who was the owner of Dare Studios in Deer Park, which is where Majesty used to rehearse before they became uh, Dream Theater. And John Myung worked there, and so did I. So that's my tie-in for wow. the Basils. <laughs> Cool. Yep. That's awesome. It's interesting to look back at it. I don't know how this much time has passed so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it's hyper honestly, goes but, into it. It's um, so weird. Yeah. It's amazing that we're all able to keep in contact with each other and see what we're all up to and be able to do this. Just, you know, get on a call essentially and record it and, and put it out for anyone who's interested. So this was super cool. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to, uh, I want to hear, let's start with Brett. Brett, you've been awfully quiet back there. I'm still here. I'm with you. I'd like to, uh, starting <laughs> with you, out of the 21 songs, you know, the, the original album, whether it's the Lemonade version or the one we played on, what's your favorite song? Hmm. Let's see. I mean, I always love playing Blit. I love playing Bliss. One of my favorite things. Oh, just that bass riff is amazing. It's really satisfying and fun. Um, let me see. Don't Let It Get You Down. Another really fun bass line to play. Um, I like Dragonfly. I wish we, we we would play drag. We would have played Dragonfly more. That was that was that was a that was one of my favorites. And then um, oh, and then songs like uh, uh, you mentioned it earlier, Jim. Jim uh, from the early demos, it was uh, there was Allison Gray and what was the other? There's another waiting for someone. Waiting for someone. I remember. I really yeah. That was another very jellyfish esque. Um, Tune that I really I and it was in that was in three four yep, if I remember correctly like yeah yeah a waltz yeah yeah that was um that was another favorite. you kevin oh man um you know i love those first three but i have a real memory around zero superstar i love that record i have oh, the kind great. of bunny carlos thing and yeah i couldn't get it at first and there was another one we put off till day two and i remember sitting in jim's apartment i think with his hot roommate chicken pot pie <laughs> yeah that's it right again coming back get the next day and getting that bunny carlos <laughs> you know um bliss also was a blast um Sell out. Great, another great one. listening to i was listening to a bunch of the songs yesterday i i love the uh drumming you did on a same time same place yeah it's great that was a good that was mark's same song time, that was a great song. That's yeah. a good song and you know what i love about Actually, that, song? Love that song um yeah. especially um is the key change in the in the solo was just so like it sounds really natural but it was just like so left field for the rest of the song and that Oh uh, yeah, that was a yeah, weird like, one. I don't know how did you, Mark? Yeah. How did you come yeah. up with that? Just bizarre key change in the song. It just totally works, but it was just like I have no idea. I, wrote, I mean that that came together so long ago, so I couldn't even yeah, tell you. Just, but it is it is it, weird it, just it thinking about that. It is funny because yeah. I'm listening to yeah. like listen to the way it goes back into the key of the song. Even it's just like and you 
you soloed right yeah. and that was your solo and it was a beautiful solo and that key change was just so I'm like damn that's a really weird key change like I would never think of something like that Jay, but I never missed the key change. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, always right yeah. there, Kev. Yep, Every yep. single one. Always <laughs> right there. <laughs> uh, Mark, what about you? What's your favorite uh, favorite song or two from the original? Um, every time, I mean, this band is, well, I'm, and I'm talking Fuzzbubble, is, is the best thing that I've ever been a part of. I'm the most proud, and I always wave the flag for it. And um, But if I ever have to play a song for somebody and I'm like, Oh, you got to hear my band. I always play them bliss. So <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's just it's something about one. that just it encompasses everything. And I just, yep. uh, that's what I, that's what I go to when I play. This is what we were all about. This is what we fucking sound like. This is going to take your head off. <laughs> so that was always the one, you know? So yeah. Yep. And that was Eddie's solo. That was right? Eddie solo. And that was Eddie yeah. Curcio's solo. Yep. And it was one of their original ones. He just yeah. put his, it, just, it was like putting his signature on the record. That was oh, it God. right there. Like, yep. Yep. Yeah. Jim, what's your what's uh, what's your favorite song from from the original? My favorite song it it changes day to day. Um, every time I listen to it, I'm like, like two days ago I posted Real World. Um, yeah, because I was like, damn, this is such a like, and that would have been like our fourth single after like Bliss introduced us and Don't Let It Get You Down or whatever. We had a couple of songs that we thought would be good radio singles, and I'm like, Real World's the epic sounding one that would have like taken us, you know, had the plan worked, you know, to uh, uh, being a very big record. And, uh, so that one, I always uh, say Ordinary is probably one of the greatest songs I've ever written personally. I'll second um, that. Yeah. It's, yeah. And don't let it get you down. I mean, that ended up on a the top 100 uh, power pop songs of the 2000s on somebody's list. Nice. And so. Yep. Deservedly so. For immediate catchy power pop which is sort of what Fuzzbubble was aiming to do I think nothing says it better than don't let it get you down and somebody even said to me like that's yeah. the best song that the Beatles never wrote <laughs> which uh, I thought was a great compliment so that's high so praise. yeah so uh, yeah. those high, three high but it, it changes on any given day like I'll listen to when it stops raining and hear Susanna Hoff singing on that and like oh that's my favorite song yeah. it goes on and then you know Every, everything you know everything it's hard to pick a favorite but this week those are mine you know and I'm so far from the My favorite to play drums on, uh, from a drumming point of view, well, I love Zero Superstar, so I, 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 but I give Kevin that one, and he did a great job uh, bringing that one to life originally. But I, I love playing it too. Uh, Out there, and Big Time Nowhere were favorite songs for yeah. me to play live. Oh yeah, Big Time's uh, a I fun really song. Yeah, it and and you know doing some harmonies on it and yeah and my probably though and I don't think it's a great like Mark was saying like Bliss is a great representation of the band and Jim you say um, don't let it get you down I don't think it's a great like representation of like if you've never heard the band before but my favorite Fuzzball song for me is Ordinary and uh, yeah there's no real drums on it it's just some percussion but the lyrics are outstanding. And uh, that that one that one gets me every time. 
Yeah, I still get a little verklempt when that's, I listen to that, it, and I'm like, yeah, Damn, it's, it's our song, and I still get like, wow, yep. you know. Yeah, yeah, that's a killer one. And it is the most extraordinary you guys did. I don't know, Jay, if I told, I, well, I'm going to tell all you guys, I told Jimmy this, um, so I don't go crazy this winter with, uh, with all the stuff going on. And I, I, um, what Kevin said, like people have never heard these fuzz Wobble songs. I'm going to play, uh, I asked Rob, you know, from Ola I'm going to play, uh, um, a bunch of fuzz Wobble songs and some covers and stuff. I'm going to do it at, uh, and on at Katie's, I'm, I'm not going to announce it when, but I'm going to do it like maybe like every other week or maybe every week during the weekday. Just as um, because it has to be a a quint, you know, uh, a, whatever. I Incidental whatever music, it. like a solo acoustic. Incidental shit, whatever. So oh, I'm just yeah, gonna yeah, word yeah. of mouth it and stuff, and then you know, it'll cool. help me, the guy out at the bar. But we're do- I'm gonna we're doing ordinary, real world when it stops raining, <sighs> and uh, um, dysfunctional life so far. The four that I picked, but but the but the three, um, those three off the you know off that main record sound so fucking cool. With the uh, two yeah. acoustics and stuff, so it's just because I've we've I've really never done them, so I I can't wait to hear how they sound with the, you know, through a, a little PA and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I want to so, hear that. We're gonna you do that real me, soon. Let me know. Uh, I'll let Steve Messina know, so he'll tape it and yeah. he'll get it to you guys and stuff. So nice, but, uh, and I'll and start way, sharing you know, any dates. Yeah, because I want. I mean I do have a little a bit of a following with all the more and and a lot of the people know about Fuzzbubble, so. Though you know, it'll just push you know what I've done in the past, and it'll it'll help uh, cult stars, and just it, it, you know it'll just give uh, people a reason to look back on what we how great the stuff we did back in the day and stuff you know with, with shit like ordinary. So I can't wait to yeah. fucking do this shit. So because uh, yeah. I, I miss I fucking wish I wish you guys were here where we could you know do it the real deal and and kill people, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> you it- know. Maybe someday. Yeah, I'm just so glad you guys are making music again. That's that's awesome. That's that. When I heard that you guys are doing this thing, I just got very excited. Right. That was probably my biggest regret, you know, when it ended. You guys, I wanted more music. Well, listen, we appreciate you hopping on this with us, joining us for the podcast. You too, Brett. Yeah, Brett's going to be uh, showing up on some stuff, some more cult stars from Mars stuff in the future. Uh, TBD. Um, who knows? Maybe we'll get Kevin to play drums on something. Ah. Um, Do you play yeah. drums anymore, Kev? You know, it's funny. I just picked up my nephew had a, pair, a drum set. I don't know if you remember. I had like a combination Koretsch and yep. Tama Frankenstein together, but I love the way it sounded. And he had this drum kit that was in his basement in the corner. And I would walk by, visit my brother-in-law and you know, I'd go by. And as I left, I'd look at it and I'm like, damn. And it was sitting there for years. And just three days ago, I said, uh, can I buy that off you? I, I, I have to have that. <laughs> it was a Gretsch. And nice. so I just picked up another kit like this week and started playing a little more. I don't play as much as Stacey. She plays every day. Let's see if we could get, uh, pull something together. It'd be awesome. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Sure. Or I'll play triangle, you know, whatever, whatever <laughs> hey. you need. Mm-hmm. Whatever you need, I'll take care of it. <laughs> Do all that shit, tough guy. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, this um, has been a blast, man. Yeah, man. Thank you. So everybody could go on to uh, bandcamp.com slash fuzzbubble and check out the new uh, the new album. Well, the new old album. It's, um, again, a re-release, digital re-release of the album we released in 2000, along with the Lemonade record that was done with Kevin Kelly, as heard here on the podcast from Mars. And uh, that, so that really is our release uh, for this month. And we're going to uh, join you again next month with something new. Uh, oh, wait. Are we also releasing something special on November 30th? Yes. <laughs> okay, cool. So there's, uh, yeah, something else special coming out from Cult Stars from Mars, November 30th. Uh, stick with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And we will post the links to that there. 
so yeah, so it was great uh, chatting with you guys, everybody. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it really is awesome to keep this going with you guys, even if it is virtually. This was a blast. And Kevin, you always have an open invitation to uh, hop back in the mix when you like. Thanks, man. Brett, you're still doing that with us, and that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, it's great to have you guys around. Yeah. Indeed. Back at you all. Right back oh, at thank you. Thanks, guys. Cool, man. Well, thanks, everybody. And thanks for everyone who's been tuning in and listening. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, we'll talk to you next month. Peace. All right. Thank you. Good night, guys. Peace. Right, Peace out. Later. Just